I remember Tretch saying, and people came out of nowhere. I don't know where these guys came from. <laughs> and they picked my friend up over their head and took him to the back. I don't know what happened after that. All I know, I was on stage going, no, that's my friend. Here it comes. Hey, here it comes. You're listening to Fresh Era, where we tell stories of the legends from the golden era of hip hop. Each episode, we bring you stories from the pioneers themselves as we dive deep into their lives, their struggles, and what it was like to be a part of the most popular form of music, before it was mainstream. I'm your host, Craig Smith, and today we're going to tell you the story of Chip Fu. He's one-third of the rap group Foo Schnickens, known for their fun and playful aesthetic and introducing the world to Shaquille O'Neal, the rapper. Chip Fu in particular, he would stand out with his blend of traditional hip-hop rhymes and a West Indian flow that would separate him from the pack. Before all of this, though, he was just a kid from Brooklyn. He was the middle child in a proud West Indian family who immigrated to the U.S. from a district in London called Brixton. And when he was born, they gave him the name... Roderick Roachford. I was named after my strict West Indian grandparent from Trinidad. And upon his birth, he was already facing adversity. I was born with respiratory problems and I was born with an umbilical hernia. And I was born with no floating ribs, so that's why the doctor told my mom, we need to take him home. We don't think that he's going to survive because he's missing ribs. He has respiratory problems. But his parents would not let that discourage them. My mom told me she offered me up to God and said, um, you know, God, whatever it is that you have for him, help him to stand firm on that and I give him to you. And as he grew, his parents made room for him to transcend his condition. My father enrolled me in karate school to build up my respiratory system. They had the go-getter spirit that is not uncommon among immigrants to the U.S. Being West Indian, they carried their culture with them to the U.K. and then to New York. All we heard was soca music, mixtures of merengue, and we heard a lot of ska music. There was a moment in New York during the early 80s when the sounds of hip-hop hadn't yet reached the entire city. For young Chip Fu, this discovery would come in waves. One of his first encounters with this new movement was through his friend Lennox, who would later be known as Pac Fu. I grew up across the street from Pac Fu. His grandfather and my father were friends. And we used to always listen to music together, you know what I'm saying? And, and I would always come and play some weird stuff for him, like Rockwell or some shit like that. And then he was like, yo, I need for you to listen to WBLS. You need to listen to Mr. Magic. I was like, all right. And you know what, like a poet, it's Mr. Magic on your radio, rocking the apple, having fun on Saturday So in my household now, you got this whole reggae thing going on. You got this whole Calypso slash Soka thing going on, this ska thing going on. And now hip-hop is just crazy in my household now because, you know, my brother's older than me, so he's coming home with all the Cold Crush Brother tapes and he's leaving them there. And I'm sitting there looking like, yo, you know, let me play these tapes. And I'm hearing all the battles and I'm saying to myself, yo, I know that I can do that. And that feeling was magnified when he saw it in real life through his older brother and his older brother's friends. Yo, what is this thing that they're doing? You know, they're scratching up records in, in our backyard. Then I come to find out that it is what it is. And I'm like, yo, everybody's scratching these records everywhere in the parks, all over the place. And you know what I'm saying? I was hooked from then on. And my father just kept bringing paper home for me to write on. Write on. I was either writing or drawing. His obsession with writing rhymes was a private exercise until one day, he saw the opportune moment to let the world in on his secret talent. My brother used to run with this crew called the Jamala Crew when he was younger. And the Jamala Crew basically used to uh, do 
backyard parties and park parties. The Jamalot crew later on became UTFO. UTFO, the hip-hop group that consisted of Kango Kid, Dr. Ice, Mixed Master Ice, and Educated Rapper. You know, at the time I was 11 years old, and I said to Educated Rapper at the time, I said, um, you know, I'd like to do a, a happy birthday rhyme for my brother. So, you know, everybody looked at me like, you know, come on. I don't think that's this is the place for that young man. And I was like, well, you know, it's my brother. He's 16. I just want to, you know, show him, you know, I appreciate him and that I love him. They passed me the mic, and... uh I got on that mic and I tore it down like if I was like 18, 19 at the time. Educated rapper looked at my brother and said, you know, this, you know, you need to, you know, embrace the fact that your little brother's going to be something. Like, did you hear Shorty? He's 11 years old and he's tearing it up. I took that to heart after Educated Rapper said that. And the validation that came from Educated Rapper made the idea of becoming an artist concrete. He started thinking of what type of artist he would become. You know, with all this soca music being played, I figured I was going to be a soca artist or a reggae artist. And luckily, his older brother introduced him to an artist called Shinehead, who incorporated the music he grew up on with the music he was beginning to love. So I said to myself, well, this is the benchmark for me. If he threw on a reggae beat, he was on it. If he threw on a hip-hop beat, he was rhyming. If I ever went to any backyard party or whatever that, I want to be able to do exactly what I saw Shinehead do. As he was getting better at writing and displaying his talents for friends and family, people definitely saw something in him. This praise was great and all, but he naturally wanted to impress one person in particular, the person who introduced him to hip-hop in the first place, his older brother. When you have an older brother, you always want your older brother's attention. I never got my older brother's attention. You know, the streets had um, sucked him in and he was just doing whatever and and learning as he went along. You know what I'm saying? So me as a little brother, I was just learning from what I saw. Growing up, it seemed like I never really had a big brother. And I said to myself, anything that he does, I will do 10 times better than him. I do not need an older brother. If it was selling drugs, I was like, yeah, I'm selling drugs 10 times better than you, and I'm gonna sell it different than you, and I'm gonna be the best dresser, and you know, I'm gonna, my, my wife or my girlfriend is gonna look 10 times better than yours. To be honest with you, that was the push for me when I was younger. My brother used to rhyme a little bit. I said, all right. There was this guy named Walstein Chapman that lived down the block, and he had a sound system, and he'd go down there and he'd play reggae records. And one day I was like, yo, I want to go down there and, you know, hear how my voice sounds. He was like, get out of here. And one of his friends brought me there one day and said, um, yo, you need to let your little brother come inside there and, and get on the mic. And he was like, ah, he's trash, man, da 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 My brother didn't know, that, you know how nice I was because I didn't let him know. So when he brought me inside there, they put on this rhythm and I just went ape shit on this rhythm. And every record that they put on, I just kept going nonstop. So they stopped and was like, yo, you crazy with it. And I was like, yo, thanks. But you know, I was the kid that had manners or whatever. So I was just like, you know, I'm in the basement with a whole bunch of thugs and all these dudes. And they're like, yeah, man, you're nice with yours. And I was like, you know, thank you. You know, that's well appreciated. And they like, what? And my brother was like, get out of here. So he went on developing his skills. He had the thirst, and now he was learning how to dissect the music. The only class that I attended in school was English literature and music. And I would sit in the class and listen to my music teacher, 
And I would be writing rhymes in class and listen to him break down metaphors or stanzas and music. And, and I played the alto saxophone. I played the drums. I could play the steel pan. I'm hearing something totally different when I hear tracks than, a, than another MC. So I'm the brand new instrument on that record. And I believe that what I'm hearing, no other MC is hearing. When I'm about to graduate high school, I bump into Pac Fu and he's like, yo, I'm in, the, I'm in my backyard and we're having tryouts for this group I'm in. I was like, group? He's like, yeah. Well, I went into the backyard where they were um, auditioning and I got on the mic and I destroyed it. And Lennox was like, yo, you know, you should be down with us. The us he was referring to included him, Lennox, a.k.a. Pac Fu, and his high school classmate, Joseph, a.k.a. Mock Fu. Pac Fu and Mock Fu, you know, they already had their names and they were already rocking with each other. I was the last person to join, you know what I'm saying? I was, I, in the beginning, I was trying to be a solo artist. And uh, Makfu used to always walk around saying, Makfu Schnick, just, just bugging out. And the name Fushnikins came from that. And Fushnikins, we said it means fusion because we fused our styles and lyrical techniques together. And with this, Chip Fu was born. He had prepared for years to become an MC, and this was his opportunity to take things to the next level. He was forging new relationships with guys who would become like brothers and would soon reap the benefits of all of his hard work and preparation. But this journey would take him on a roller coaster ride on which he would create new bonds, new success, and eventually hit rock bottom. After the break, the incredible rise of Fu Schnicken, Shaquille O'Neal the rapper, success, and the devastating incident that tore it all down. Listen, nobody cares when the War of 1812 was fought or how many states there are in the U.S. We all know that there are 52, I think. What we really care about is which famous gangster rapper actually started as a backup dancer or how many ladies per capita love Cool James. This is Magic Most, host of the new classic hip-hop gamecast, Headspin, brought to you by Stupid Fly. Our first show launches on Wednesday, June 30th, but you can subscribe today. Headspin, the world's first and greatest golden era hip-hop gamecast. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. 
Chip Fu was an incredibly talented kid with a chip on his shoulder. He wanted to transcend the limitations of his respiratory issues. He contended with the lack of attention from his older brother, and he wanted to be great at his craft. Fortunately for him, he found himself among friends who were willing to go on this hip-hop journey with him, and they formed Fushnickens. As they got to know each other as a group, writing and performing together, they became unstoppable. Around this time in Brooklyn, they weren't the only ones trying to get noticed, and they had some learning to do. There's this guy named Chirpy in high school. So he and I used to walk these two young ladies to the bus stop, let the girls walk ahead of us and talk, and he and I were just talking. You know what I'm saying? I never knew he was into rhyming or lyrics like that, and he never knew I was into rhyming and lyrics like that. And Chirpy is actually Buster. That's Buster Buster. You know, Buster Rhymes. Later on after that, this is when Digital Underground actually was performing at the Palladium. And I walked into this pizza shop and I saw these three guys in the pizza shop and they're ordering. But then I remembered one of the guys standing there and I was like, yo, what up? Which was Buster. And at the time, they were leaders of the new school. We weren't signed yet. And he was like, yo, what you doing here? It's been years, bro, da 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 what you doing? I said, yo, I'm about to go inside here to this Palladium show. He was like, yo, we going up in there too. And he was like, you in a group? I said, yeah, I'm in a group, I'm in a group. What's the name of the group? The Foosh Niggas. He's like, Foosh Niggas, that's crazy. And Buster Rhymes had one piece of advice for him. He said, when you go up inside here, he said, every time you see a camera, always stand next to the person that's getting filmed. So you're always being seen. I was like, all right. But this man worked that party. Like, at the end, when you saw the footage on Video Music Box, it just seemed like it was all about him. This helped set the tone for how Fushnickens would be introduced to the world. Leaders of the new school made up of Buster Rhymes, Charlie Brown, Cut Monitor Milo, and Dinko D were on the come up just ahead of Fushnickens. As luck would have it, they met a man named Phil Pabone who worked at the Source magazine. He was so impressed with the way Chip Fu and the group sounded that he offered to manage them. His first gig for them, performing alongside leaders of the new school at Howard University's homecoming. We ended up opening for leaders of the new school at every show that they did. It was meant to happen because they bust our ass every time we perform with them, which made us some incredible performers because you're performing with the likes of leaders in the new school and they had the livest show. They were getting a crash course in showmanship from legendary performers. Their impact on Chip Fu in particular would be deep and lasting. But it's hard to be a group. There's pressure to put out and always an opportunity to see a fellow groupmate dragging their feet. The chemistry between myself and Pak Fu was always genuine, you know, because we were childhood friends and we knew what this meant to our parents. Mak Fu was something different because we didn't know each other too well and he didn't understand my work ethic. It was definitely a learning experience and one that would take its time to play out. Work ethic is something that was ingrained in Chip Fu at a young age. That was a trait that wasn't going away anytime soon. He also maintained his original goal of fusing hip-hop and his West Indian roots. They had this show at SOBs. It was hip-hop versus reggae. It was hosted by Jamalski. Jamalski was an MC with ties to KRS-One and Boogie Down Productions, who stood out as a reggae MC because of his high-pitched tone. They had... All these artists there that were signing up for hip-hop and signing up for reggae. And it hit me. Uh, something was like, yo, why don't you sign up for both? So I said, if I sign up for both and I win both competitions, everybody's going to talk about me. 
Jamalski was like, all right, come into the stage. What is your name? I said, yo, my name is Chip Fu. The crowd started laughing. I was like, all right. My favorite record at the time to get busy to was Impeach the President. Ladies and gentlemen. I, I destroyed that record. And the crowd was just left in awe, like, yo, who the fuck is this kid? I didn't win. The person that won was Corny. Real talk. And he got beat up after the show. <laughs> I ain't gonna say who did it. But he got beat up. He got his ass handed to him after the show. You know what I mean? I got off stage, and then they said, we're gonna start the reggae um, part of the show. Jamalski was like, you know, the hip-hop thing finished already. I was like, nah, bedroom. Yo, trust me. So I went up there and I roasted everybody on the whole reggae side. So from that point on, Jamalski was like, yo, this kid right here, he ain't normal. And everywhere I saw Jamalski at that particular point in time, he would call me up on the mic. One night, Chip Fu found himself at a Boogie Down Productions concert. BDP was on full display and Jamalski was on stage. I was standing in the crowd and Karis One was on stage. So, you know, he's demanding everything. He's Karis One. And then Jamalski was like, yo, Chip Fu, right? Yo, Fu, touch the stage. So I came up on stage and I let loose. Staying prepared got him noticed by a hip hop gatekeeper. This validated his skills and put him in front of the right people. One of those people ended up being a pivotal figure in the hip hop industry. Sophia Chang, who was the A&R at Jive, saw us at the Howard Homecoming and then saw us at the building and she brought Jive Records there and Jamalski was hosting that too. And we were the only act on that bill that wasn't signed. Nonetheless, they were prepared. We put our foot in everybody's ass. Almost immediately, they were offered a deal with Jive Records. And the group of guys who started out in Pac Fu's backyard were on the same label as A Tribe Called Quest, Too Short, and Boogie Down Productions. I mean, it was a happy day for some people, but, you know, I understood that the work was going to be different now because now you're going to be seen and people are going to know where you live and... Things just changed at that point for me. I think I got too serious at a young age. Chip Fu was determined to steward this opportunity with the same vigor and responsibility that he used in mastering his craft. Me not playing sports, I don't know how it is to be a team player. So to finally get the position of a team player, I said I wanted to actually play it properly. This no-quit attitude would come in handy as they recorded Ring the Alarm, their first single with Jive Records. But what people didn't know about their lead single was... I recorded Ring the Alarm laying on my back because I had a hernia. And I went to Olivio G's house and he mic'd up a cot for me. So I laid on my back and he put the mic around me or whatever and dropped the mic in front of me and was like, yo... You know, this is crazy, but let's see how this works out. And I laid there on my back because I couldn't stand up. How it came out is what everybody heard. Ring the Alarm went gold in three weeks in Canada, which was unheard of for a group that's not from Canada. But remember, Canada has a huge West Indian population. We had people coming to the concerts wearing Ring the Alarm t-shirts, and I knew we didn't make them Ring the Alarm t-shirts. For me, I was like, yo, I sat at my kitchen table and wrote that song, and these people are embracing it like that. This was the power of original sound and good music. The group was making waves with their first single, and a lot of people in Canada wanted a closer look. It was an autograph signing with Boys to Men and us. 
And the line was like for four blocks long. And I was like, man, ain't trying to get no food chicken signatures and shit. They all for boys to men. Little did we know. When we sat down, everybody was skipping boys to men and coming to us. Boys to men was like, what the fuck? It was a big step in the right direction for Foo Schnickens, and it meant so much to Chip Foo and his family. For my father being a proud West Indian man he is, he was just like, you know, this is my son, and my son did this. I gave birth to, uh, to this young man that, you know, a lot of people thought was like a serious introvert and was born with problems. And look at him. I was going to England and uh, he wanted me to get in touch with his brothers in England. And, you know, we were ready to go and the car was outside and, and he's fixing my collar like if I'm nine or 10. He was really letting go at that point in time, meaning, you know, my son is actually becoming a man. And I'll never forget that moment because it just let me know how proud he was of me. That pride extended to his entire family. On his trip to England, he would discover how proud the Roachford family could be. Now, there's a big artist in England called Roachford. So Every interview that I did, everybody was asking me, yo, is Roachford your cousin? And I was like, who the hell is Roachford? And then my aunts that were there were like, that is your cousin. Realizing he wasn't the only Roachford in the music industry was incredible, especially while at the same time getting to know the other side of his family that he had never known. It felt good to meet family outside of my dad because I didn't know any of his brothers until that day. And then I invited them down to the show. My uncles didn't come. Their kids came and they were like, well, wow, this is crazy that, you know, our cousin is, is Chip Fu. And my name was really ringing in England, but for me, I was so grounded that I was just like, yo, it's just a job that I'm doing that I enjoy. But when my cousins approached me and how they were, yo, are you, that's really you? And I'm like, well, yeah. Then I was like, well, maybe this shit really is touching people. Indeed it was. And Fushnickens, while performing Ring the Alarm and their demo records, kept attracting larger crowds. And then when we started packing concert halls and we started selling records is when I knew things were different. And Jive was just like, okay, well, you guys need to finish the album. i never forget Sophia Chang came in there and she was like, well, you know, I'll put you guys with Ali Shaheed Muhammad. Ali Shaheed Muhammad, the one-of-a-kind DJ and producer for A Tribe Called Quest, made up of him, Fife Dog, Jerobi White, and Q-Tip. Ali Shaheed Muhammad used to say I had to be out. Ali Muhammad was God sent. He knew exactly what he was doing. Can't take that away from that man. And everything he produced, you felt. And the connection to A Tribe Called Quest was deeper than music. Fife being Pac Fu's cousin, you know, it, it just felt like seeing family because Fife used to come on the block when he was younger. They'd be out there playing football or whatever, Pac Fu and Fife. But we were the first group that Tribe produced for. That was genius on Sophia Chang's part. So Tribe showed up and they got to work. So we did True Fushnik. I'm a true white, I am a true Fushnik. I'm a true white, I am a true Fushnik. We did Lash Move. Heavenly Father. another record in one day. Like I said, I was always ready. So I'm there with my book of rhymes, like, yo, let's go. Play whatever it is you throw on, I got something for it. Those songs, along with Ring the Alarm and other records produced by Livy OG, would round out their debut album, F.U. Don't Take It Personal. And as soon as the album was finished, we filmed Lash Move, and it took off. But when it took off, 
things changed because we understood now that it's it's about serious work. In order to maintain their momentum, they were gonna have to stay active. With their first single going so well, all signs pointed to future success with the album and a lot of hard work. What no one knew at the time was that there was a tension beginning to bubble within the group that would boil over in dramatic fashion. But in the meantime, Foosh Nickens was growing in popularity, and it looked to the rest of the world like there was only one way to go, up. Coming up, Foosh Nickens joins hip-hop royalty not once, but twice. They hit the big screen, and they help create a megastar. Then, it all falls down. DJ Cool, and I'm here to tell you about a new stupid fly podcast I'm on called Headspin, the classic hip-hop trivia gamecast. Headspin! Come listen as two golden era gladiators compete head-to-head to see who will be victorious in their knowledge of completely useless hip-hop trivia. Headspin! The winner will go home with cold hard cash, while the loser will be forced to spin the dreaded hip-hop wheel of consequence. Headspin premieres June 30th with new episodes every Wednesday after. Make sure to subscribe now on Apple, Spotify, Audible, or wherever you get your podcast and follow at Headspin Game Show to get in on the action. Headspin, the only classic hip-hop gamecast. Headspin! Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash the Foosh Nickens debut album, F You Don't Take It Personal, was released in February of 1992, landing at number one on Billboard's Heat Seekers chart. The fanfare was phenomenal, and the group was among the hip-hop elite. As the album's success continued, they became a fixture in a crew of MCs called Flavor Unit, with acts like Queen Latifah, Queen Latifah is a perfect specimen. Black Sheep, you can get with this, or you can get with that. Chill Rob G, it's getting, it's getting, it's getting and Naughty by Nature. They let the world know they were here with their posse cut. Roll with the flavor. The Foosh Niggas is having a show at the Palladium. I need everybody there. We gonna do Roll with the Flavor. Now, there was two versions of Roll with the Flavor with everybody and then the, the shorter version. Everybody showed up at the Palladium and we did the longer version. And this was when Chip Fu realized that Flavor Unit had his back, particularly Tretch from Naughty by Nature. A friend of mine was standing in the crowd and before I kicked my rhyme, I was like, yo, I wish I had a piece of gum. And he threw a stick of gum at me on the stage. I remember Tretch saying, and people came out of nowhere. I don't know where these guys came from. And they picked my friend up over their head and took them to the back. I don't know what happened after that. All I know, I was on stage going, no, that's my friend. And I just had to keep performing. And their camaraderie extended to the Flavor Unit tour. Nothing was fucking with that Flavor Unit tour at all. 
And we all, at the end, we come out and do Roll With The Flavor. It was a beautiful thing to be a part of. Oh, yeah. And they still had his back. Tresh used to say, yo, all you got to do is just, just call my name. And I'd be like, what are you talking about? I remember one time we went into this town and these guys was telling us, yo, y'all better get the, the fuck out of here with that tour. And again, Tretch said, and like I said, I don't know if Tretch packed these dudes inside underneath the bus, but dudes just kept coming out. I'm like, well, goddamn. They were in the company of hip hop hit makers and there was no question they belonged. This was evident when they were asked to be on the soundtrack of a hip hop spoof movie called CB4, starring Chris Rock. I remember going to Diamond D's house. He's like, yo, Diamond D, we need a track for this, this, this CB4 soundtrack. Diamond D made that track in like two minutes. I wrote to it first, and I remember the day that I stepped into the studio and I recorded that. Pakfu and Makfu was like, yo, that shit is crazy. CB4 was released in March 1993, and it was number one at the box office. The success of the movie and its soundtrack definitely translated. While we were on shows, people just start screaming out, sneaking up on you, and then we just have to look at the DJ, and as soon as we tell the DJ to play it, and they threw on the beginning, the place used to erupt. With an album that by this time had gone gold, touring with hip-hop great, and the whole world wanting more fooshnickens, Chip Food didn't let up. He kept working and drew inspiration from one of his favorite cartoons, Bugs Bunny. So I was like, yeah, I want to do a song called What's Up Doc. I actually went and bought a VHS show that had episodes of Warner Brothers cartoons on it, and I sampled it. What's up, Doc? He took the sample to K-Cut from the rap group Main Source. Now, if you listen to What's Up, Doc, there's a piece of Trufu Schnick in there. When the song goes boom, boom, and boom, I told him to sample the and noise. And then I said to him, yo, I need to hear a noise. So that noise that you hear in What's Up, Doc is actually me whistling. I already had the rhyme written in my head because of how I saw the song playing out. When we finished recording the song, we could not release the song because Space Jams was out. And Jive didn't want any problems with the whole Michael Jordan thing or whatever. So they made us remove the uh, chorus and made us say, well, uh, can we rock? Yeah, what's up, Doc, or whatever. We knew we had another smash. Now, this is the thing. F You Don't Take It Personal was already gold on its way platinum. And then here we come with What's Up, Doc. Right after that, like, Jive is like, yo, hold on to it. And good thing they did because that gave them the opportunity to add a young, dominant ball player who everyone had their eyes on. The number one overall draft pick in the 1992 NBA draft. Shaquille O'Neal. Shaquille, One thing that a lot of people don't know is that he was DJing. He was always a DJ. And I was like, yo, you got lyrics? He was like, yeah. I was like, well, you'll get on this song. He goes in the booth and he starts to recite his verse. I was like, yo, say that line over. All he needed was guidance. And he said it over, and I was like, oh shit. <laughs> you know, the song is done. Can we rock? What's up, Doc? Can we rock? What's up, Doc? I'm the Hooper. 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 H
they released What's Up Doc in June of 1993. As you can imagine, it was a surprise to everyone hearing Shaq kick rhymes, but everyone loved it. The single What's Up Doc secured Fushnikens another gold record. This was such a good experience for Shaq that he started on his own album through Jive Records. And you know he had to circle back to Fushnikens. He sat on my bedroom floor and my mom came down the hall and she was like, oh my God. And I'm like, yeah, Ma, Shaq, this is my mom. He asked me to come to Orlando and um, help him with his album. And while promoting the album Shaq Diesel, Shaq landed a TV appearance that required an additional touch. I got the phone call from Shaq when he was like, yo, Arsenio want me to come on, but I told him I'm not going to go on there unless I go on there in my favorite rap group. Who happened to be the fastest rising rap group on the chart? Shaquille O'Neal and Fushnikin. We went out there and we rocked it, and Arsenio was just shocked. Again, striking gold and getting attention kept them busy. A lot of times, people with this much spotlight tend to bask in it. But Chip Fu was different. For me, I became more of an introvert and people were not seeing me at all. Because now I'm looking at the second album and I'm looking at, you know, going to different places and dropping freestyles or whatever and making sure that, you know, everybody paid attention to the group. There were some points and times in the group where I was just like, yo, I'm working too fucking much. Like, sometimes I felt like I was by myself. Even when we were creating, I felt like that. But there wasn't much time to dwell on that. They were still performing, doing promos, and working on their next album. That's when, in the spring of 1994, they got word that the Arsenio Hall Show, which had given many hip-hop culture icons, including them, the opportunity to shine on network television, was coming to an end. The producers decided to close out the show's long history by putting together a hip-hop cypher with MCs at the top of their game and they wanted Fushnikens. I remember we all sat at um, the studio. You could hear a pin drop. No one talked or no one moved until Pete Rock pressed play and that beat came on and it just seemed like everybody just woke up and just started talking to each other like, yeah, this is where you're going to come in and this is where you're going to come in and let me hear what you're going to say and then you're going to come in on this. It was incredible, man. And that energy carried over into the taping of the show. They pulled together an all-star lineup with Yo-Yo, MC Light, Naughty by Nature, A Tribe Called Quest, CL Smooth, Gangstar, Das FX, Wu-Tang Clan, and of course, Fushnikens. This was a surprise to everyone watching the episode, but the performers themselves were also in for a treat. There are some people there that wasn't even on the record that was just there in the stands or just dare to be there, you know what I mean? Karis One was not a part of that. I don't, because he wasn't at any of the practices or anything. So I'm shocked because I'm just like, all right, this is over. And then you hear Karis One and he's free and he freestyled this whole thing. Now that's a finale. You know what I mean? It wasn't about who sold the most records that day or who had the best rhyme. It was about, yo, let's send this man off the proper way. And I just felt honored to be in one of the groups that were called to be a part of that cypher. And in the midst of this wild ride to the top with gold records, sellout shows, famous friends, and no end in sight, cracks started to appear in the foundation. Within the group, it just didn't feel right. You know, Mock Fu was bringing his mother up to the fucking label. His mother would come up to the label talking about, where's my son's money? 
You know, when it was time to do songs, he was he was unprepared. And we came across feeling unprofessional. They flew us out to L.A. to do the Adams Family soundtrack. He was supposed to come and do that. He couldn't do it because his mother had something for him to do. What the fuck? You're signed to a label. It felt like everything that we built, he was trying to destroy. This is something that built up during the group. Before the group, there was no problems. We were fine. And when we put music out is when the problems were prevalent. We started getting angry, like, yo, what the fuck are you doing? You know, you're allowing the music to, you're allowing the industry, you know, to change you into something that you're not. And as far as Chip Fu's relationship with his childhood friend, Pac Fu? Pac and I were always on good terms. And I think because of the bullshit that was going on with Mock Fu, we just got to a point where we stayed on speaking terms, but we just, the work was different for us. It was, it was different for us because it was no longer fun because we had to deal with his shenanigans and bullshit. I mean, I'm not going to lie and say that we didn't have beautiful times in the group. We had great times in the group or whatever. He and I no longer were seeing eye to eye at all. You know, at that time, I was offered my solo deal from Jive, and I gave up my solo deal to do another group album. My dad was upset about that, and my mom was upset about that because they they knew how much I wanted to show those other sides of myself when it came to doing music. And I just felt that he took that, that Makfu took that for granted. Nevertheless, they eventually made it through recording their second album, Nervous Breakdown, which was released in October of 1994. The album wasn't a flop, but it didn't do as good as their debut. And what happened next solidified that their sophomore album would be their last. You know, we finally got to a point where everything bubbled up. Um, the young lady I was seeing at the time, my child's mother, I think Joseph threatened her or something like that. And it wasn't cool, you know what I mean? And, and you know, a fight ensued. You know, shit just happened and went wrong. I really hurt that boy in, in that fight. That wasn't cool. You know, when groups fight and they, they fist fight, to me, it's like, how could you hit somebody who you have so much history with, if that makes any sense to you? Yo, we shared pizza coming up, you know, trying to get this deal or whatever. That hurt me more than anything that I, I you know, that I felt that way, that I needed to put hands on somebody who I looked at as a brother. That that wasn't comfortable for me. But he pushed me to that limit, and, you know, I put hands on him, and he sent um, sheriffs to my house, actually. I never forget when they came to the house, you know, all these cops surrounding my house. I was like, what the fuck they looking for? They ain't looking for me. You know, they rang the bell, and, and when they rang the bell, they had the glossy picture. I felt hurt that they came to my house and that he sent them to my house. It was funny getting to the precinct and seeing him there. He was like, um, full extent of the law, and then my mom walked in. And my mom spoke to, you know, Mark Foon and was like, how, do, you know, how could you do this to somebody that's helped you so much. <laughs> yeah, I laugh at it now. It was, it was the, those, that time in jail wasn't nice. It was like lights out. This one dude peeked over to me. He was like, yo. I was like, what up? And he was like, yo, last move. And I was like, nah, dude, this, this ain't even the time for that. But being recognized in there wasn't a comfortable thing because we were at the height of, you know, our height. So to be recognized and 
to be questioned about being inside there, I didn't want to tell them that, you know, I'm inside here because of something that had occurred with myself and my group member. Now, looking back at it, I say to myself, you know, it taught me the best lesson moving forward, man. You got to know who's in your circle. You got to know who's in your circle. You got to know who's for you. And sometimes certain people, you got to pray for them from afar. I respect that time in, in, in the cell and doing push-ups and, and, you know, reading my little Bible or whatever. And when he got out, Chip Fu was done with Fushnikins and done with the music industry. He was back to being Roderick Roachford. Usually, that's where this story would stop. But this next part is a pivotal element in the life of Chip Fu. From that point on, it was more so about figuring out life. So for me, I figured stay away from hip-hop as much as possible because I just, you know, I had the bad taste in my mouth about this whole hip-hop thing. So I said, well, I'm going to enroll in school and do physical therapy. And I'm in Cobble Hill, and this young man used to come downstairs in his wheelchair, and he used to always say, yo, man, I just want to learn. I just want to be able to stand up to marry my wife. He says, I can't stand up too straight. And he called me by my name, you know, Roderick, man, you know, whatever. What you know about hip-hop? I was like, yo. He kept coming downstairs playing music. And, you know, I removed myself from hip-hop so much that I just was, I just figured that I was just a physical therapist assistant now, so... I'm doing pretty well until the young man says, um, my favorite MC stopped rhyming. I was like, yo, who's your favorite MC? And he said, my favorite MC is Chip Fu. So I stood there like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. But I didn't say it to him. So in my mind, I was like, well, maybe he recognized me, but he did not know that I was the one that was giving him therapy. So I said, sit down for a minute. I put him back in the wheelchair and I locked the the, the wheelchair up so it don't roll away and I went to the bathroom and I just I stared at the ceiling I was like yo God what are you doing to me like I'm so hurt right now and I actually started shedding tears in the bathroom started shedding tears in the bathroom because I, I didn't know how to take what I just heard I lost some confidence in myself because of everything that we went through with Mark Fu and everything else and but when that kid was like yo my favorite MC is Chip Fu that 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 struck a chord in me, man, and, and, and it hit an emotional chord. I just kept working with him, kept working with him. I think on his last day, I was like, well, stand up, young man, and he stood up. He stood up and looked at me in my face, and he was like, yeah, I'm going to be able to marry my wife now. I said, do me a favor. I said, you see this tag? I said, take this tag and go in the computer room and, you know, type up the names. He typed in my name, and then Fushnikens came up in my picture or whatever. He was like, what is this? You know them? I was like, I'm Chip Fu. And he was like, come on, man, you know them? And I was like, bro. <laughs> I was like, I'm Chip Fu, bro. So he looked at me in my face and was like, yo, you got to be kidding me. And I'm like, nah. And then he gets on the phone and calls his family. And he had about 19 people at my job. And he's telling them in Spanish, yo, that's Chip Fu. And then his brothers is telling me, yo, you're his favorite MC. And I was like, well, now you could tell people that your favorite MC gave you um, therapy. I couldn't write this. Months after that, I got a phone call, and it was the same guy that I helped with therapy, and he was like, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. I was able to stand in front of the priest of my wife and get married, but I also want you to know that I've become an ordained minister. From that day on, it changed my life because, you know, I had to say to myself that, you know, God puts you in certain places. And for me, I had to go through that situation to learn more about myself. And it brought me back to me sitting at the table in my kitchen, 
pounding on it at 2 a.m. in the morning, just writing. Chip Fu had accomplished what he set out to do. He wanted to be a dominant MC. He wanted to prove that he could be a team player and a worthy brother. He had created moments that would go down in history. And even through all of the turmoil, he was given the gift of knowing that his impact would last forever. These days, Chip Fu still performs under the name Jungle Rock. And he founded a hip-hop curriculum called MAD. Music appreciation, art, time, and healing. Fresh Era is a stupid fly production written and edited by me, Craig Smith, and made perfect by the amazing DJ Cheap Shot. Chris Barnett makes sure these haters don't outsmart us. Sean Berman is our mix engineer. Music by The Math Club. Art design by Michael Bonanno. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Stitcher, or however you listen to the show. You can follow us at Stupid Fly Media. The real fans can find us at stupid-fly.com, where you can learn about us and purchase Stupid Fly merchandise. We'll be back with another episode of Fresh Era.